episode 14 of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox. To play music for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the conversation that I had with Jamie Branch on the afternoon of August 27, 2016, in my living room in the Rogers Park neighborhood of Chicago. Jamie is a New York City-based improviser, composer, and music presenter who plays trumpet in many groups and ad hoc improvised contexts. You're currently hearing me talk over Jump Off Free by the Jamie Branch Trio, forthcoming from Relative Pitch Records. At the end of this interview, you'll hear a live version of Theme 2 by her quartet, Fly or Die, a studio version of which is forthcoming from the International Anthem Recording Company. Yes, that means this episode of the Now Is podcast contains two world premieres. You heard it here first. One of which I'm currently ruining by talking over, by the records. To find out more about Jamie's different projects, upcoming performances, and that sort of thing, check out jamiebranch.wordpress.com. A note about this episode. Loyal listeners will remember the blanket of cricket noise from last year's Olivia Block interview. The dudes were back in force. Welcome again to August in Chicago. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can also stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W-I-S.org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that I played for Jamie. Feel free to also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Jamie Branch. Excuse me, I'm Mr. Boyd. Yes? I'm Dave uh, Flexingbergstein of Jism uh, Magazine. <laughs> Is jazz as we know it dead? Yes. <laughs> It's Lester Bowie? Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like Lester Bowie gets his just dues. Oh yeah? Yeah. Um, because he's using all sorts of crazy articulations to do this, you know? And like that military style, this stuff right here. I mean, that's hard to play like that. Yeah. Just play short notes. And then go to like a real spread sound, you know? What do you mean spread sound? Like this, the notes um, in the like quicker, the quicker military notes are way more centered of a sound. Um, the articulation is most of the sound. The, the duration is really short. This stuff, it's like, he's really spread. It's almost it's like a growl. Yeah, the, the pitch is really spread, I guess. When I say spread, I mean the pitch. But also the articulation is all over the place there. I mean, he was really, he set up a lot of the extendo techniques that most of us use today. Right. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Well, that stuff that just happened is almost like a, a, a feedback, a distortion in the sound, you know? That, that top, top of the wall squeak. Top of the wall squeak. 
so it's feedback because it's like reaching the edge of what the instrument's made to do. And well, it's almost like breaking up the horn, like a guitarist might break up the amp, you know? Um, I, I do it by focusing air instead of straight through the horn at the bottom of the cup, creating a split. But this is almost, this is like some, this is a, these low tone, multi uh, low tone, flutter tones or pedal tones rather. But even on these notes that are pretty clear, you hear that electric like sizzle on top. Yeah, that sizzle on top. He could also play jazz. Right. <laughs> there it is. There what is? That sizzle. That... He's doing some half valve thing. Uh, the two sections we just listened to at the end um, were, uh, I felt like one was a blues and the other was uh, like an ending theme, you know? So the blues, he was riffing on something, on an idea, and he kind of took that idea as far as he could. And then we'll kind of come in with another, like, slightly different, but statement, and then repeat, repeat, you know, repeat that idea, and, um, and, like, um, can you lower it a little bit? Yeah. Um, and, like, transpose it in some ways, you know, um, not just, like, by pitch, but, uh, transpose the artic the ryth rhythmic, uh, articulation part of it. You know, and there was a lot of space. It almost felt like he was letting, playing one side of the conversation, you know? Right, one side of the conversation. Yeah, which is like kind of what like playing over blues is because it's not just you playing, it's like the whole band playing, but, right. you know, you kind of stay in these statements. And then the second part felt like an ending theme, you know, a way that he could come out of the solo. The top starts with a beginning theme too, I think, like that militaristic, like, you know, like there's notes, you know, mm -hmm. and then I think he just, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really say what he was thinking, but it sounds like me to me that he is taking pieces of what he started with and kind of expanding upon that and uh, then just like stream of consciousness going somewhere else, you know, right. kind of coming back to these areas where he's being real, like specifically melodic. Yeah. That electric, oily electric eel sound is awesome. <laughs> I learned how to do that. Put just like the fuzz, of, it's like a sheen on top. That shit. He's also not afraid to use his voice, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most people are fucking afraid to open their mouths. Right, which I enjoyed seeing you do last night. I was curious about, like, <laughs> he, there's an element of, um, theatricality to like the way that that start the tone is set here by the sort of total satirical right like, sarcastic you I know, know when Dave it started Fletcher I was like this sounds Stein. like a real real weird version of a fucking Braxton opera or something right. like but it's this is also like kind of sounds man like on a the street <laughs> Richard Pryor record or something sure <laughs> yeah Dave Flexing Burgerstein from Jism magazine yeah <laughs> yeah I almost feel like the beginning here, it was just kind of like a fastball into the piece or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it brought the energy up in an interesting way and, like, focused you in a way, which is, it's, it's interesting to think about it, like, this, like focusing 
the listener in a different way than they would when they're usually about to go listen to music because the word is literal, you know, and music is abstract. So it's like, the, it's kind of a very cool convention because it's like, all right, I'm paying attention. I mean, right. the people who don't turn it off right away because they think it's corny, but right. you know, who cares about those people? This is like, just like kind of a side note, but like from the very, just like the context of what is said, it's like, okay, this is black music, you know? This is like a very, like especially the time, 68, that's like very like, you know, that's an important piece of this music, I think. Totally. Um, and then Lester Bowie just kills it, because that's what he does. Is it uh, Ellington? It's, it's not. Who is it? Basie? Uh, it's Roy Eldridge. It's Roy Eldridge? Yeah. What's the band? I did, just for the record, I first heard this song two days ago. So, no discredit. Well, what's uh, the... Roy Eldridge and his orchestra. Oh, it's Roy Eldridge's orchestra. Okay, cool. I mean, it sounds like a trumpet player run orchestra, but... Cool. So anyway, it starts off with a similar... I like Roy Eldridge because he's like the dirty version of Dizzy Gillespie, you know, like Dizzy was Roy's student, um, and Roy Eldridge is so like, he's like Fats Navarro in a way, he's just like all in, you know, his playing is great. Yeah. So he's the dirty, what makes him the dirty one? Because Gillespie is like, like a very clean technician, Gillespie is virtuosic, you know. And so he's doing like what, like half, is it half foul stuff like you were saying before? Or like what is he doing this? Um, Who, uh, Roy Eldridge? Yeah. What is well, he doing listen to all the growls and stuff in here. Can you back it up a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I'll play it from the beginning. If you want, maybe. Yeah. Oof! That time, man. What about it? It's golden. What makes it golden? Right there, I mean, it's just right there, you know? Yeah. Those those sort of breaks where the band is out and you're carrying that time, that is a lot of responsibility. That's like being a bass player or a drummer or something, you know? That's yeah. hard to do on the, on the horn. Yeah. And playing, like, whatever those are, like, 32nd, 64th notes, whatever, like, insane. Yeah, I mean, this is, like, hot bebop, you know? Like, it's, this is the time to play those notes. Right. So, yeah, Roy Eldridge, Fats Navarro, both those dudes just, like... We're really like, really all in, all the time. Um, but uh, I say that Eldridge is the dirty Gillespie because like, he uses a whole bunch more uh, articulate. Like Gillespie was super clean. Growlies, growlies. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. with something like that, I mean. What that last thing he did, that sounds like Lester Bowie. That sounds like some like extended technique Fuck, yeah, from like 2001 like... or something. You know, yeah. It sounds like. Totally. So, um, would you like to speculate broadly on the, the historicization of jazz as being treated like it's, you know, I mean, the Lester Bowie thing starts with him saying is having this music writer asking him if jazz is dead. Yeah. But like, here's a dude in um, the '40s playing that, you know, that right. weird, dirty shit. Um, so it, I feel like there's some. But 
there's some way that they're being you're being indicted. Lester Roy's responding responding to the like indictment of an author who's like, you guys kill jazz by not being like a swing band anymore. You know, that's what he's. Well, I mean, the funny thing about jazz is that it keeps being killed. Like, like James P. Johnson and like what's it called, Ragtime was killed by the big band, you know, and then the big bands were killed by like the black big bands. And then the, the big band, those big bands were killed by bebop, you know, right. and then like bebop was killed by the cool era, and then like like that that modal jazz was killed by fucking fusion, you know. It's right, like, right, and then right. free jazz killed everybody. So yeah, yeah. Well, um, in this... although it ran concurrently with some of the stuff I just said, Roy Eldridge could play all the, all that stuff because it was still harmonically like that har- harmony was being pushed forward, and he was certainly playing like uh, changes, you know. Um, that was the time of like shredding changes, you know, um, but in such a forward pushing way, you know, and using all, all the stuff he could put into it, you know, like that, but also like the ends of those, some of those phrases are just like, instead of being like, it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Just, that's beautiful. And that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the cool stuff. That's the it's like runaway he, train. Right. And because you can sense back. that he could totally land that if he wanted to, it's all the more powerful that he like. Maybe he could. Maybe he couldn't. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the way he dealt with the fact that he couldn't, which is more interesting to me than somebody who can. Okay. Perfectly. I mean, I'm sure he can like nine out of ten times, but maybe in that instance he couldn't. Sure. You know, he can't always stick the landing. <laughs> right. And sometimes it's better when you don't. At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Hodges? Yeah. Steve Lacey's favorite. Yeah. Rex Stewart, yeah. Super big time. Why? He loved Rex Stewart. Um, his phrasing. He wrote a couple tunes for him. Um, and he has this like sound that is also the growly thing, but like kind of a. It goes back and forth between. That uh, trad jazz, like with the vibrato, mm-hmm. to like a real like thin sound or something like a like that. No. Like. This is like traddy. Love yeah. that. Yeah, good chump play, man. That kind of stuff. That like raspy. It's like not quite growly. It's raspy. It's like he's doing something with his throat. I don't know what. I try to do that stuff and I can start coughing. <laughs> really, for serious. I'm working on it. I can growl, kind of. 
can flutter tongue like no one's business, but. <laughs> so that's like, you know, compare that to like the time that uh, Roy Eldridge had. Again? Well, like, you know, Rex Stewart versus Roy Eldridge on those breaks, like, you know, there's no question, like, Roy Eldridge had that time, that, like, bebop time, you know? Yeah. I guess this is a little earlier than this, 44, this is what? 37. 37, yeah. So, we just weren't there yet. Yeah. We weren't there as Team Jazz. <laughs> team Jazz. That's nice. This is, this is the Ellington Orchestra. This is Team Jazz. This is the this is the A team. Yeah. The dream team all wrapped up into one. I think it's the other CD. I don't listen to as much as the other one, but it's um Booker Little. Yep. And Dolphy. No. No. Oh yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Is it? Shit. <laughs> I see, I have to pull my shit up first. Look, the little's my favorite of all time. No, this is, no, I was right. It's not with Dolphy. It's not Dolphy. <laughs> it's one of his records, then. It's uh, the Jazz Artists Guild. So oh, okay. Yeah, that's, I think that Max Roach maybe was most in charge. Um, that would make sense. I haven't heard this actually, but it's clearly Book a Little. Oh man, his sound, his tone. What about it? It's the best. How so? <laughs> I mean, clearly so, it's not the best. It's not like this. he can jump the highest like in the Olympics. I mean, like there's something. He kind of can. He something can. you uniquely like about it, right? Um. It's just super focused. It's like laser beam focused and it's dark, but it's got bite. What does dark and bite mean in this case? So the beginning of those notes, that that's bright and the darkness is just the, the hoo 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 of the note, the like body of the note. It's all very like, oof. Then you can articulate over the time. It's my favorite. like Rex Stewart on fuck, or uh, Roy Eldridge on steroids. This is a clear evolution, evolutionary point in the trumpet. And Booker yeah. Little died when he was 23 years old, which is ridiculous. So who knows what would have happened. You know, Freddie Hubbard got to wear the crown, but that was Booker Little's crown. Yeah. Yeah. When you say it was a clear evolutionary point, what are you thinking of as the like pivot, or what was the thing that was being evolved from and to in that moment? Um, well, this is like that hard bop stuff, you know. Um, but before this, you had Miles, who like, what year is this? 58, 59, 60, 60, 60, 60. Yeah, so you had Miles in that whole like cool jazz movement kind of cool out bebop for a second and then this is like hard bop you know I think of this as hard bop 
And man, those records with Dolphy and Max Roach, uh, those records, Henry Grimes and Dolphy, man, those are some of the best records, I think, period. Uh, Live at the Blackhawk, Volume 1 and 2, um, Booker Little and Friend, uh, Booker Little and Max Roach, all before he's 23, which is so nuts. That's what I'm saying. Booker Little has it all. He can phrase, he can articulate, he can be lyrical, he can be a fucking punk rocker, you know, he can fire, blaze you down. Um, all with such, like, intentionality and direction. Always, like, going. Even his ballads, man, his ballads are beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it like a Braxton large ensemble thing? No. Um. I mean, I'll just tell you. You know, you don't have to try to guess. Is it Bill Dixon? No. What is it? It's Sonny Simmons. Oh, it's Sonny Simmons. It's Barbara Donald. Yeah. Bar. Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, that's Barbara Donald for sure. Yeah, trumpet player. She was yeah. killer. I haven't heard this. It's called Burning Spirits. Cool. 71. Huge, man. Or, like, at least that intro was, like, crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Barbara Donald is super overlooked in the history of jazz, but she is a killer trumpet player, man. She was married to Sonny Simmons. Yeah. They had children together. And I think she kind of just fell off the map at some point. But it's too bad because she had the lines. She was like a more aggressive, free jazz Booker Little in a way. Like she had the sound and she had the technique, but she was a. She was like. Fiery lines, like straight down the horn. You hear that Booker Little in there? Yeah. Also Don Cherry. Yeah. But those like... Oof. Yeah, tell me what you like about it. I mean, her searing use of the top register is really... Incredible. It's a steering roof. Use. A steering use. use. Oh. He's got her, uh, she's got her, uh, Lipsler whitey, whitey bobbles, and then goes into, like, bebop lines. You know, it's just complete control over her technique. Extraordinary facility. Um, interesting phrasing. Yeah, I definitely play coming out of this in some ways. In what ways? I mean like energy trumpet playing, you know, mm -hmm. quick articulations, high notes, low notes, 
um, really um, gestural moments. Um, she can probably articulate better than I can as far as eighth notes. People, gestural is one of these words for like that I see in music writing and just talking about music and stuff that right. sometimes I'm like, it's not quite specific enough that I imagine people might be using it differently. So can you describe what you mean when you say gestural? Sure. So like instead of being like, like you know, it's more of like a gesture. Okay. Like it's going down, it's going up. Even when she's doing like the cyclical stuff, that's almost more gestural than linear. And then it can also mean when we're talking more extended technique stuff, gestural can mean like sound based, like splats and microphonic, micro, uh, fuck, uh, multiphonics. Right. I wanted to say microphonics, which I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. Microtonal multiphonics. You can, you can invent that, invent that, and that can be. I think it's been invented already, that's the thing. It's like all the techniques that most of the trumpet players that are playing free jazz and improvised music right now, we're all using a similar language. It's just how we use it. Um, there hasn't been like a huge innovator. I mean, there's the Axel Derner, mm-hmm. and then um, you could one could say Peter Evans, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah. As innovators on. Your I mean, saying. there's also this dude Mazen Kerbage. He he doesn't even really play the trumpet. He uh, uses yeah, reeds and, and tubes stuff. and like, you know, that's just a whole nother approach to the instrument. Right, right, right. right. But I mean, but Peter Evans is like maxed out on technique, you know? He's totally maxed out on technique. But like, in, I mean, maybe in, not for him, but for like the in, rest of us. And then... In a good way. In, the, in a great way, yeah. Peter's a good friend. Yeah. Um, and uh, who else did I say? Axel. Axel, yeah. Axel, that record trumpet, it's on a, a Brute Secret, mm-hmm. a Brute Secret number three. That's like the multiphonic trumpet record, man, for me. And I'll tell you who it is. But it's fun to guess. It is fun to guess. Can you give me hints? Like, is it Chicago? No. Is it New York? Uh, yeah, I think he... But is it Bill Dixon? No. What is it? Rafe Malik. Oh, really? Cool. From 98, huh? Cool. Yeah. Did Colin Fisher also tell you this? Yeah. Yeah. He, he asked me if I like Rafe Malik. I said, yeah. Um, this is another recording I haven't heard. Um, is it with um, um, is it with Jimmy Lyons or is it with uh, Cecil Taylor? No, I don't hear piano. Who's it with? Uh, Glenn Spearman. He's the guy he plays saxophone with. I yeah. only heard of based on listening yeah. to this album. Ralph Emilique has that big sound that I like a lot. It's really bright. It's really bombastic. It's really full. You know, it's a little overblown, yeah. which is like kind of some. When I critique my own shit, sometimes I feel like I play overblown, but... Yeah, I would assume there'd be some tendency towards playing, doing that when you're playing, like, fiery music. Yeah. Right? Totally. I mean, is that where it comes from, or is it... Just putting a lot of air in the horn. A lot, you know. Um, 
especially when you have to when you feel like you have to play loud when you play over people. Right. Like here, he's way, way back down. Whew. Some nice stuff. I would say that's like gestural and to and it flips out like that. You know? That sort of thing. Right. Do you know what I mean by that yet? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think okay. so. I'm just asking you to kind of define what it is. Yeah. It's interesting to spell something out a little longer. It's hard to go, for me, it's hard to change articulations like this, you know? And it sounds like, you know, it was a little bit of a rough transition for him there, too. Yeah. Like, do I want to play a melodic line now after I just did all this, like, yeah, yeah. crazy bombastic stuff? It's hard. So. When you're listening to people improvise like this, do you, you just said it's a rough transition. Do you like, know, like, oh, didn't quite land that one? Yeah. Kind of, for me, yeah. It was kind of like, oh, he tried something and then he pulled back because he didn't like it, or he went somewhere else because he didn't like it. Which yeah. is actually probably the best. For me, if I don't like what I'm doing, I try to stop. Yeah, yeah. Or just change, you know. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it makes it so that things don't develop in a real organic manner, though. And that's, you know, like, the unfortunate other side of that. Yeah. So for me, it's like weighing that, uh, making strong decisions and also letting things develop, you know, and, and knowing when to to uh, keep something going, even though it might seem done to me. Right. Um, and knowing when it, <laughs> it is done. When, you know? when it's done, yeah. Because, um, you know, audiences hear different than we hear. Because we're kind of hearing it twice when we're making the sound, right? We hear it coming out of our bell, and we also hear it in our head. Yeah. So it almost makes it seem twice as long. Right. But the audience doesn't get that. They don't, right. they don't get that preview in their brain. Right. Not yet, at least. <laughs> You're going to develop a type of music that... Not has... me, but like Ray Kurzweil probably working on that. Yeah. yeah. Some, uh... <laughs> well, what AI. about what about a musician as a listener? Do you Musician hear it like as a 1. listener, 1.5 because you're imagining what that person is trying to do. Um, musician as a listener, especially for this music, can be like very exhilarating because you're almost like having your own little byline, you know, like you're following what they're doing, but you're like kind of can complete it in your mind. And nine times out of ten, they they do something different because they're a different person. Yeah, and they're you know? they're not there in the room with you. What do you mean? They're not there hanging out with you. Like, if you were in the band, you might have chosen to move together. But since you're not I'm there, even talking about, like, listening, like, live, you know? Oh, 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 live. Yeah, like, I was, like I was, talking, live I was talking about recording the whole time. So. Recording, yeah, recorded music and live music is, like, really different for me, the way I listen, at least. Um, okay, so tell me about it. Tell you about it? Yeah. I mean, live for me is much more... Um, I don't know if invigorating is the right word, but it's a lot more, if I'm listening to the stuff that's happening, it's like very active listening, I feel. Like it's my favorite way to see this type of music, to see free jazz and improvised music is to see it live. Um, because there's a lot of decisions that are made in real time that even if they're being recorded, can't quite be captured, you know? Um, and I like listening to live records, but I think there's like, there's albums that work and albums that don't work that are not live. Like, there's like a lot of really boring jazz records, especially now, because like there's 
a lot of small labels and a lot of people making records and it's like trying to capture something that works really well live but just like not so hot on the record you know which ones i mean there's a lot <laughs> i'm not gonna like name names <laughs> um, I, there's a lot of boring records you and can't say i didn't ask yeah there's a lot of great records too and usually the records i don't know maybe i'm maybe i should stop talking about this but <laughs> um i think there are some people that approach making records like making an album and i think Rob Mazurk is a really great example of that. Like, he's never been afraid of post-production, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's cool. There's a lot of people who want to be purists about the shit, but it's like, for me, it's a different thing. Playing a live show and making a record are two different things. Um, sometimes a record's a document. Sometimes it's a document, but sometimes it's a, it's its own living, breathing thing, you know? And you're doing that right now with that thing you were playing me beforehand? Yeah. I'm doing both those things right now. One of them is more of like a document of where the trio is right now. So I'm literally going to go all through all that music that we played and find the cool tracks. Yeah. That's the record. And the other one is a quartet record with like guests on it and stuff and like with some stuff done in post-production. Yeah. You know, and that's like more of like an album. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully they'll both function well. Um. <laughs> But more than likely, they'll join the ranks of mediocrity, <laughs> and I'll suffer into oblivion. Yeah, itself. well, you know, I'm sure you're going to be the one. You're going to sell, you're going to have a gold record. <laughs> what does that mean anymore? Uh, 500 uh, streams. <laughs> yeah, like... 500 four. unpaid streams. <laughs> yeah. That's a gold star. They yeah, you'll get a, a, a JPEG of like a... <laughs> uh, you get like a sticker that you can use on Facebook that no one else they has. They give you a check that's also like a decal for eight <laughs> cents. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no, the check says five hundred thousand dollars, but it's just, it's just a decal for your car. It's just a decal for your car, yeah. Or it's a decal for your like smartphone. Or for your trumpet case or something. Right. Right. <laughs> um. This one. I mean, any of them. This this record, man. I listen to this record all the time. I still listen to this record all the time. Yeah. This there's something. Like they really captured this time. I guess they were all in Chicago at this time. Um, what did they capture? Just that time period, man. Um, just like Chicago was kind of blowing up or maybe on the precipice of blowing up for post-rock, mm -hmm. you know. What year is this? Uh, this one is 96, I think. Okay, so this came out before um, Tortoise, um, Millions Now Living, and also Standards? Uh, definitely before standard. Definitely before, before standard, TNT, yeah. but I think after Millions Now Living, but I didn't look up the This, like, yeah, this, like, time period in Chicago, man, just, like, it's, um, so, um, just, like, beautiful melodies, you know? Matt Luck says they're ripping off, uh, Miles' group, you know, the late mile stuff, but well, I hear it possibly. differently. Yeah, it's uh, different. It's less, uh... It's stripped down in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, certainly in the percussion, there's nowhere near as much, like, over the top, too many drummer 
Was kind of Bitney the drummer in Isotope? Uh, Bitney and her did both. Yeah. And then, you know, they played synths and vibraphones and whatnot. Right, sure. I wonder who's playing this line. This drum part? Or that line? That's like my favorite. Didn't Tortoise do a version of this song too? Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't get enough of it, boys. Yeah, it's on, it's on TNT. Yeah. It's a great tune. The first one that you play too, the one that comes in with um, Sarah and um, Rob, they had a great... Sarah is a great trombonist, man. Just super melodic. There it is. Boom. Great tone. What do you mean, there it is, boom? Um, her ideas are very clear, you know? There's no hesitancy. Well, it's funny you say that because she's playing, like, behind the beat in this kind of, like, an intentional kind of, like, W way, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sounds I mean, good. Oh, no, no, I mean, I love it. Yeah. Talk about not a sound that's uh, really brassed out. You know, this is like a much darker sound. Right, right. Some micro... Microtones. There's a, you know, like post-reverb post coming in. Post-production kind of thing, yeah. I like that, man, because it's like, you know, this is an album. Have you had this conflict ever with people talking about musicians who think that albums should really be these representations of live shows? Yeah, totally. Why do you think they have that attitude? I don't know. It's a holdover for me. It's like a muscle thing or something like. But I, but I think at the end of the day, everybody makes their records differently. Like, it's just there's some purists out there that are like overdubs. My goodness. And then on the other side, there's some jazz bows that like overdub every fucking solo, and you're like, what right. is this? This isn't even jazz now. This right, is like, right, right. like for That's me, true. jazz is a, a reflection of the times and an energy music, you know. And that's why I can't die. Really, it's not. And I don't know if I'd call this jazz, but yeah, it's really like vulnerable, intimate music. Even because the melody is so spacious and beautiful? It's a lot of space throughout, you know? Yeah. So what makes you think of that as making it intimate? I guess the vulnerability of it, like, makes me feel like it's But what, Or intimate. what makes you think that that's vulnerable? Like, where do those, those both are meta, metaphors, like, where do those... dropped out for that amount of time and then came back in it's got this very like dub thing yeah I mean I feel like they just did that with like all the instruments they just like pulled them out for a second right when I was about to say it's like vulnerable because if anything is gone the vibe is gone but it's not it's like these layers they do it in such a way where it's like um, it's vulnerable yet 
really strong. Like even if that, if this line comes out right now, we're gonna hear it in our head. Even if it's yeah. not being played, you know, it's like, it's hypnotic too, just because of the repetition. And the sounds are all very round, you know? There's like not a harsh sound in sight. Oh. Even the drums. Oh, yeah? Yeah, sure. So this is Miles. Yep. So funky, man. So good. Um, this is uh, on the corner? Yeah. Yeah, the mm -hmm. tune is called Black Satin. Yeah. <laughs> Funny story. I played this recently in Vienna. Right. Um, <laughs> did you know that? When you picked this tune? So you're like, oh, she'll know this one. No, I don't know the story. <laughs> oh, all, you don't know the story? Paul told me there's a story, and I don't know the story. So oh, cool. Story. Yeah, okay. So we played this in Vienna, and it was me and Dave Liedman, yeah. like, heading this, like, you know, seven-piece electric miles group with Red Key playing acoustic, nice. and another dude playing electric bass Paul on the fucking keys. But I was also playing a Martin Committee trumpet from 1946 that night which is probably the closest thing to what Miles Davis would have played in real life. Because okay. that was his trumpet, Martin Committee's. Um, and this was an old one, you know? Yeah. And it was belonged to this dude, Freddie, who's a friend of, um, man. I'm just gonna leave space there so you can edit, yeah, edit that, that in. Franz Hausinger, right? Oh, Hausinger, yeah, 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 yeah. Hausinger. Like sold it to Freddie and Freddie let me play it and Freddie's like, Kind of down to sell it to me, I think. I'm just like trying to figure out the dough situation. Cause I never like really have an extra couple thousand euros to throw around. Right. Uh, but man, a Martin Committee trumpet from 1946, even to get over to the States, like if I ended up selling it, you know. But yeah, they don't, they're not nearly as loud as like the horn I play, mm -hmm. but it's like real small, easy to get around. Yeah. How is it different playing such a fancy instrument? How is, it, how is it different than your horn? Than my horn? My horn is a big bell. Yeah. My horn is a Bach from like the 90s. There's nothing really special about it. It's silver plated, so it's brighter than raw brass. This one was raw brass. Um, I love raw brass horns. I had a raw brass, raw brass Bach from the late 70s, early, like 79, 80, and it got stolen in 2007 from my car in Pilsen. Mm. So on my way to a gig, and I took it out. I mean, I left it in there. I left my cell phone charging. I went to the gym, that's what happened. I decided to go to the gym, because at the time I was going to the gym a lot. I knew my trumpet didn't fit in the locker there, right. so I just covered it in dirty clothes, but I left my stupid Razor phone charging in the front seat, uh -huh. and some guy just like came by, I was on like 16th Street in Pilsen, and just broke, I assume it was a male, 99.9 it was a male, and <laughs> the dude broke the front window, got into the car, took the phone, and then just like went through all the stuff. Right. Found the trumpet, took it, man. It was a rough. That sucks. But then you found yourself in Vienna later playing. Yeah, with much Dave later, Liebman. many, many years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Dave Liebman. And uh, that was the story was that you played that, that trumpet? That's part of the story. I mean, Dave Liebman told me I had to dress better. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he told me that Miles told him that you always had to look better in the audience. 
And then he turned to me and goes, and our audience looks like shit. So, and I was like, damn, Dave Weedman. I was like wearing my brand new um, Angels hat and a black Sabbath hoodie with black jeans. Dude, I was looking right. Whatever, Dave Weedman. (laughs) Funny story to that, though, is that I saw him recently during Vision Fest. I was playing at LPR and wore a dress that night. And I saw him out of the corner of my eye. And I was like, yo, Dave Weedman. And he was like, looking good. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, Yeah, dressed up. Well, yeah, he definitely remembered me. He, like, pulled no, his No, no, not just remembered you, but, I mean, he remembered that joke about... Uh, uh, it was not a joke to him. It was not a joke to him. It was not a joke to him. I was like, Dave Liebman, look, I'm dressing up. He's like, he's like, you're oh, looking yeah. good. I know you're sounding good. What is this? Uh, Woody Shaw. He's going to play a solo of this. Cool relevant to what we've been talking about or what you've been talking about I think you know it is smooth sounding but I went through a Woody Shaw period pretty hard yeah and listened to a bunch of those 32 jazz release records that is like now defunct label but they had all these records they sold for like eight bucks solid and Little Red's Fantasy was like my jam yeah and there's a couple all. others. Um, they sound kind of like this, a little bit less free. Um, but they kind of have that smooth sound about them. Ron Carter is the bass player. Mm-hmm. Woody Shaw is a great player. He's a very different player, too. He died. So. He's very, like, um, he really brought interval playing, intervallic trumpet playing into the forefront. A lot of people come from Woody Shaw. Jacob Wick, a great free jazz trumpet player, has a lot of Woody Shaw on his playing. Right. These like gaps, this like, he's a very good trumpet player. Yeah, can you describe what you mean when you said intervallic? Like, like, like he plays with fourths and fifths, larger intervals than trumpet. A lot of playing is, you know, scalar or chromatic right. or leaps, but he's really playing with intervals, right. almost in a saxophone way. This type of sort of stuff. What about it? You know, like yeah. those kinds of shapes. Shapes, like, so how would you sing that slowly? Is it like there are different intervals? It's not moving through the scale or chromatically, it's. Okay, those big jumps. That are kind of built in. Those are the things I refer. Right, right, right. Like that. And I want to ask you, aside from you guessing what it is or anything, like just this. Is thing. it Nate Willie? No. Uh, just people playing like. Is this. it Axel? Yeah. 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 Does. Right. And that first sound that Axel played with like the. There's something I rip off of him so hard, man. Oh, man. Forgot how hard I rip him off. It's like, I do it with the plunger, but like, it's multiphonic. It was right at the top, if you want to roll it back. Yeah, I'll point it out. Rewind. That shit. Yeah. I do that all the time, man. I love that sound. Yeah, Axel, man. 
He's such a beautiful sense of scale, too. He can really wait longer than yeah. most folks. Is it with, like... Is it somebody I would know on percussion? Like, great... Who is it's not it? percussion. The other player's not percussion? It's no. cello? Yeah. Is it Fred? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, that I think I've heard this record. I met Axel at Fred's house, actually. Yeah. Do you know this story? Yeah. Let's hear it. Um, I didn't go straight through with my, like, bachelor's. I took a semester off. And I was in Chicago, and Axel was playing at the bottle with, I think, Keith Rowe. And then the next day, he was playing at Myopic solo. And I was one of, like, maybe 11 people there for him. And I like mustered up the courage to ask for a private lesson. And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm teaching at this house. And he gave me directions and it was Fred's house. And he was staying in like the basement like apartment that he had. And um, uh, yeah, it, it was a really great lesson. I taped it. I listened back to it for years. Um, what did you guys talk about? We talked about silence and the sense of space and we, played multiphonics together, we played a lot of extended techniques together, which was mostly me trying to copy what he did. I had some form, semblance of what I was doing, but I was young, it was like 2005. Yeah. Um, and um, at the end of the lesson, Fred came down and asked me to play on his Lightbox Orchestra gig at the Phrenology Festival at The Brain, mm -hmm. which like turned into the Umbrella Music Festival. And I met like all the dudes that night. Mm. And I got my job at the Jazz Record Mart because of that night. Yeah. It was like the most, oh, the yeah. pivotal moment in my right, Chicago. Right. What's the names? Ah, oh, man, I will, I'm gonna be remiss, but like the people playing in the band, I know Frank was in the band. I think Rampus was in the band. Stein was in the band. Berman was in the band. I'm, I mean, some of these names I'm gonna get wrong. I think Ken Kessler was in the band. I think Daisy was maybe the other drummer. Or maybe even Reed. I don't know, but like everybody who wasn't in the band was there that night. Right. Keith. I mean, I literally met all the dudes. And right. Fred like gave me a, a piece, a time in the, you know, he'll like turn the lights on and off. He actually gave me like a little solo time, which was cool because people could like kind of hear me play. Right, right. And right. like I was surprised that What'd everybody was down. I played multiphonic straight through pretty much. Yeah. When I was younger, I was like a good go-to like, deer in the headlights look and I knew it would sound cool. <laughs> right, right, right. I can just hold this as long as I can. Yeah. You know, I just recently learned how to circular breathe at that point, so. Uh -huh. Yeah, you were doing some pretty cool circular breathing last night. Yeah, it's like now, like, definitely part of the arsenal. Yeah. Um, so tell me more about this. How do you, like, could you respond to the, like, the super conventional interview question about music like that, which would be like, some would say, this isn't even music, you know? Like, this isn't giving you enough harmonic or melodic content um, to really, like, count. But clearly you think it's... I, I think it's music, Compositional, yeah. it's music. So what are you listening for instead of what you'd listen for if you listen to Lauryn Hill? Well, a lot of the same things are there as far as, like... Um, there's a shared vocabulary between the musicians. There is, like, a sense of time even though it might not be the same sense of time like I either feel like there's a meta pulse here which is also something you could feel in the Lauren Hill thing or uh, 
you know, it's kind of like scale, scale, you know. Um, the way the eighth notes refer to the bass drum in the Lauryn Hill is kind of like the, the time gaps in this one and like the, the gestures or the uh, moments of playing. You know, I think it's really related, related. I think there's a lot of musical convention in improvised music yeah. that often goes untalked about either because people don't want to talk about it like that or because people don't believe it exists. Right. A lot of people who are like, yeah, I can improvise it, don't give it any time, that suck at it is because they don't actually develop any type of... Um, convention is not a great word, but like vocabulary and yeah. you know there's a rich history the thing that of presents... improvised music at this point you know it's yeah. coming out of a lot of different things right. um, and so people who are really good at it generally have studied it in a really deep way you know yeah. not necessarily in school or anything like that in fact I, one could argue that schools are now killing jazz especially but you know even free jazz but it's becoming vanillified and right. boring as fuck but there's this, there's the, the musicality and the like sense of uh, like like cliffhanger and like resolution and you know disruption and harmony and all those things I think are there and sound you know pure sound too yeah I mean I think of this it could be a song but more of like a suspended song you know um, what do you mean a suspended song that's good. Well, you know, it holds together in a way, like a song might, but there's not like a sense of resolution coming at any point. There's no... Can we turn it up a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it got real quiet right there. It's kind of like you're listening to Outer Space for a while. Right. The song of Outer Space is going to keep singing, and now we're just listening to a suspended yeah. part of it. We kind of are listening to the song of Outer Space because there's, Cause the cicadas, there's the cicadas, the cicadas, yeah. Unmistakably good. You, you know what I mean? It's like the song is going to, the song is always there, I think, but um, I feel like we're listening to this part of it, to this part of it, and then when we stop, it continues. At least with music like this, sometimes you'll get a real clear ending that's like, oh man, that was such a great ending. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this music, a lot of Evan Parker's music too, even though there's definitely songs, definitely endings, it seems like you can click in and you're like, oh, we're here. Yeah. And you can leave and it could still be, you know, totally. still be moving. And even though the time is felt really differently in both those things, that's like, for me, the idea of this metapulse is just like under everything. Yeah. When you say a metapulse here, do you, are you actually hearing specific, like there are beats you can like make? Like super quick beats. I mean, like, but Jamie is making a beat with her hand, which you can't hear a yeah. listener. Right. That's the, something like that, you know? So that's like da 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 No, 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 even quicker, way quicker. Like oh, 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 like an actual roll kind of thing. You know, just like sound of the universe or whatever. Right. No big deal, sound of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's Evan Parker? No. Oh no? Is it one saxophonist? It's four saxophonists. Oh, it's four saxophonists. All playing tenor. Okay. What is it? Battle trance. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, yeah, plant. sorry. So, this is. See how many saxophones I have to get together to sound yeah, like one no. Evan Parker, man? 
Right. Come on, Briner, step it up. <laughs> I know um, these dudes like these dudes. Matt Nelson's great. Patrick's great. I don't know Travis, but he's cool. Who's the fourth guy? Um, space, is this to, space to edit in the fourth guy's name. I don't yeah. have it pulled up right here. I have it on. Is I this um, typed it their out. new record? This is the first one. The first record? Yeah, the first one. Um, Jeremy Viner. Jeremy Viner, right. Um, but I'll edit that out because <laughs> I don't want Jeremy Viner to be sad for years. Yeah. Um, yeah, so last night I saw you uh, play with three trumpets, yeah. um, you know, two of which were cornets, but, you know, ignoring that distinction for now. Um, so it's three instruments playing in the same tunnel range, and there were sections that were, like, sort of droney yeah. in their own way, involved drawing long tones in and out in, like, a narrow, narrow range. Um, and this is doing that in a, a different way. Uh, yeah. Through circular breathing. Um, we were doing some of this. Yeah. Not what, as much specific phasing. I think they're phasing a little bit more on purpose. Yeah, I think so. Than we were. Yeah, I think so. But I, in any case, like, this is not what most people think of for, like, jazz music in some capacity or something. Growing out of that is, like, just doing, like, a narrow, um, a narrow tonal range. So what interests you about, like, music that has, that has that phenomenon? I mean, it's a great way to have improvised minimalism, you know, um, if you want to call this improvised, you know, having like a, a pitch set, perhaps. The way I wrote the piece last night was that we had three pitch sets that we went through that were worked extremely well with like cyclical playing on the trumpet. Um, you know, one which went to a, a, one which went to a B flat, one which went to a B natural. We went to B flat first, then A, and then went just kind of in between those two. When we went to the B, we never went back to the B flat or the A. We kind of moved forward yeah. more into a drone thing. But like, what I like about this is that you have the ability to like choose your own adventure, right? Like, you can make the melody out of whatever piece you want to, right. and you can listen to it again and hear a different melody. Yeah. And the rest although, of it, the stuff they in here a little more right here. Yeah, sure. They're moving, yeah, no, they're totally moving the chords it. together. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you hear that note pop out as the primary, even though there's three or four other notes being played, because that note is coming around again and again and again and again and again and again. That's the note that you hear. Right. Um, and everything else in the background kind of, I mean, <laughs> before when they, were, when they were more phased, it sounded like almost like a conversational background, you know? Um, this is a lot more unified, so even like the other parts of the swirl, or the set, I should say, are kind of com coming together too, so yeah, it sounds more like a guitar thing. arpeggios. Yeah, it's definitely like a circular thing. Yeah. You know? Totally. Yeah, it sounds like a big bar or something. <laughs> yeah, some tapping shit. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Now they're swarming. There's a compositional shift. This is like trilling. Also a great way to drone without droning. This goes good with our cicadas. Yeah, totally, totally. It's a really natural, you know, it feels like uh, really, the shapes that come out are like really like, you know, they're, they're fractal shapes. Yeah, no, know? this is what I was saying about plugging into the sound of the universe. Right. 
Is this a duo record? No, no, there's two more people. Is the leader in. playing it? Yeah, it's the bass player. Leader's the bass player? Yeah. From Chicago, lives in New York? Uh, no. Oh, okay. It, uh, lived in Chicago. Um, lives in Austin. This is his Finger bricks? Yeah. Obviously. And you're brick with who on trumpet? Oh. Yeah, we do trumpet players. Huh? Even if you don't know the trumpet. Is it Nate Woolley? Yeah. Yeah. How do you identify Nate Woolley? Nate Woolley is the best. Um, no, Nate Woolley can play lines like this, and Nate Woolley would play with Ingerbricht. Um, Nate's got a really great sound, I think. It's not like super full, it's got like a lot of detail to the top and the bottom of the sound, always. Um, he can also improvise. He can play lines and he can improvise with sounds. He's he's good. And um, so Ingo on bass. Who on guitar? He's a guitar player you're gonna recognize as soon as he starts soloing. Okay. But and you can recognize him by the tone, maybe. What year is this? Uh, 2011, maybe 10, actually, when it was recorded. No drums, right? No drums. No, sorry, 2012. I've succeeded at not once having the metadata pulled up in front of me during this episode. It's pretty great. That'll be what makes this one special. Oh, it's Mary Halverson? No. No, it's a... Uh, who's, the, who's the other horn player? That's him. Um, you're not going to guess? You want me to guess? You don't have to guess. Joe McPhee. Oh, okay. Joe Morris? Yeah. That's what I was going to say first. Yeah. What? Joe's my teacher. Yeah, Joe, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, so tell me, about, tell me about his playing. Tell me about his idea of improvising. Joe deals with unit structures, man. He can play like the Cecil Taylor stuff and rip shit apart from the inside out. And really, like, he can transpose it, put it everywhere. I'm surprised I haven't heard this recording. Um, There's a lot of recordings to listen to. There's so many, so many, so many, so many. This is a cool recording. It's, it actually is really different from a lot of the music I hear being played in New York right now. How so? Um, well, I mean, there's like. It's definitely got a jazz thing going on. They're, they're uh, playing, they're bouncing, you know? They're bouncing on that jazz time, um, even without a drummer. Um, and it seems right now like, so here, yeah, this sounds composed. Yeah. So there's an intro and then here's the head. But, so how does that compare to New York now, what were you gonna say? Um, I feel like there's like two schools right now in New York. There's like a whole bunch of people who are afraid to play jazz and a whole bunch of people who are trying to prove that they can play jazz and some of the times it's a Venn diagram. But I don't hear a lot of jazz without drums. Um, you know, fairly new to the scene too. Nate Woolley can really do it all. Um, he's probably my favorite trumpet player in New York. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I don't have to see. Yeah, he's my favorite trumpet player in New York. Um, his solo sets are incredible, too. Yeah. It's amplified and unamplified. His extended technique game is on point. Um, 
Inger Britt's a really great bass player because he's always present and he's always like pushing forward. He's always driving forward. Um, and Joe's really like functioning in a way almost like a drummer and just, you know, it's like that. It's like the pitch material is almost not as important as the rhythmic material. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Joe is always trying to find a way to play in different keys without being in a key ever. <laughs> right. Um, and he can really, he gets that perpetual motion, like jumpy time, jumpy time, jumpy time. You gotta find your people, and that's wherever you are, you know? Like, I've been living in different cities now. Like, I was in Chicago for a long time, but I lived in Baltimore, and I found my people in Baltimore. And now I'm in New York, and I, like, pretty much found my people in New York, you know? And, like, some of those people are Chicago people, but (laughs) um, some of them are New Yorkers. The quartet that I'm working on right now is with Chad Taylor and um, a Jimian, Jason Ajimian right. and uh, Tamika Reed. Oh, okay, and, so like, it's all Chicago. All those people are Chicago people, yeah. Okay. Originally it was called like Chicago Quartet, but then I changed the name to Fly or Die. It's just a better name. Yeah. And man, uh, I'm really excited about making that record. Cool. It's actually for Chicago label International Anthem. It should be out in the spring, spring 2017. Yeah. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> or you might have heard it previously. You might have heard it from me somewhere else, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the trio is with Brandon Lopez and um, Mike Pride, New York dudes. Right, right. Mike's from Miami. Not Miami, oh my God. That's the opposite. Mike's from Maine. Maine, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Brandon's from Jersey. Right. Both have been playing in New York forever. I met Mike a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do you guys play together differently because you're in New York? Do you feel like it has a different New York vibe rather than the Chicago vibe? And how would you summarize... Not necessarily, like, it's just like a, it's just like a pretty driving free jazz band. It's trumpet trio, but there's a, uh, there's a feeling that there's foreground and background in all the instruments, like, no instruments relegated to a role the whole time. And that is a way I've been trying to play for a long time, especially with, like, my, like, free improvised stuff. And so, yeah, that's kind of an extension of music I've been playing since I've been in Chicago. It doesn't seem necessarily outright New York to me, but I don't know, maybe it is. Thank you.
the whole salary. The whole salary. The whole fucking tomato. <laughs> the trumpet, the whole funky tomato. The whole funky tomato. The whole fluffy tomato. The whole funky tomato. The whole fluffy tomato. The whole funky tomato. The whole fluffy tomato.